welcome to another episode of Self-Help Witch. I'm your host, Dee Michelle, and I'm so happy that you're here. This week, we are exploring a crossroads that I'm confident many of us will find helpful, attachment theory and tarot. Now, of course, we're breaking all of this down in the episode today, but in case you're new to the concept, attachment theory is a psychological framework about human relationships. It states that there are four attachment styles, secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. Knowing your primary attachment style is useful because it helps you understand what you're bringing to the table in any relationship, not just your romantic ones. And if you listen to the show, you already know. (laughs) When you know yourself better, you can operate with more clarity and confidence. And duh, we want that. Knowing your primary attachment style won't instantly change your relationship, but it will give you powerful intel that can help you begin to investigate anything that you're not loving. I found so often when I was unsatisfied in a relationship, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Was it me? Was it them? And with the knowledge I have now, in particular regarding attachment styles, I can tell you that most situations would have been so much easier to figure out. I personally learned about attachment styles when I was learning about codependency. I was at a point where I knew I needed to work on boundaries and people pleasing. So I looked for a book and I ended up choosing a book called Anxious to Please. (sighs) This book, it, it was so powerful to witness my patterns through reading this book. I remember in particular a chapter that talked about this pattern that people pleasers have in romantic relationships where they put their partners on a pedestal. And as soon as I had that image, I knew immediately that that was something that I did. The authors went on to explain that when you do that, what you're actually doing is sabotaging the relationship because you've effectively fallen in love with the idea of someone with who you want them to be rather than who they actually are. And in doing that, you don't give that person space to be who they are. So of course, inevitably a relationship like that is going to fail because (laughs) what's the point of being in a relationship where you have to be someone you're not? Eventually, this dynamic becomes impossible to ignore. The person in front of you is not the person you want them to be. They can't be the person you want them to be. They can only be who they are. Reading that, I just thought back to every relationship that seemed to be going so great and then just stopped being great and feeling so shameful and guilty about why it didn't work. Is there something wrong with me? How come this keeps happening? All it was, was that I couldn't see how my own patterns were playing out in my relationships and having a knowledge of my attachment style completely changed that for me. This is just a taste of the power of knowing your attachment style. And our guest today is going to not only help us understand all four styles, but will also share powerful practical advice 
to support anyone who wants to address their attachment wounds, particularly through the use of tarot. Veronica McNellis, who is our guest today, is a tarot reader. Her business, V Healing, provides healing space for all those who wish to understand themselves more deeply. She believes that tarot is a tool, that it offers us guidance, it helps us see the bigger picture that the universe has planned for us, and that it can certainly assist in our healing and be an anchor during a time of need. So with that, let's get into the discussion and soak up Veronica's wisdom. Hey. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I could talk all day about attachment theory, also about codependency and narcissism and everything else that goes along with that. (laughs) We're going to get into it for sure. And especially how it relates to tarot, because I know that's a big part of your work. And I think that that's something um, all of us like can really get a lot out of just from hearing this conversation. Yeah, I'll start with tarot since my relationship with that started first. So it was 2017, I think towards like the end of the year, I was in a very unhealthy relationship. Definitely, most likely definitely with a narcissist. <laughs> um can't officially diagnose anyone, but <laughs> we can tell. Um, yeah. And at the time I had actually, I was just trying to like learn new things. So I was doing a jewelry apprenticeship. So I was working with this woman in Philadelphia and she owned this metaphysical shop. So it doubled as like the shop where she sold tarot, crystals, a bunch of stuff from local makers. And then in the back was her studio. So I think that day I was probably just like going through it with this guy and someone who worked there suggested I pull tarot cards. So I pulled some cards. She interpreted them for me because like I had never used the tarot before and they were just like spot on. Yeah. I was just like, okay, I need to learn like more about this and like what it is and like how to read the tarot myself. Were you hesitant at all to pull the cards that day? Because I know the first time I saw a tarot deck, I think I was a little spooked. Like, how did you feel when they were like, pull cards? I think I went into it more with like this, like, okay, like, what does this have to offer me? I've always, always been someone who is like, very into like, anything that can help me understand myself better. And being, at that time, I hadn't probably been like in the shop too long, but I definitely had been around it, like been around the tarot and crystals and everything. So I'm like, okay, like let's finally learn what this is. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, remember the cards you pulled that day? I'm just curious. No, I wish, I really wish I did. I do remember though, like trying to twist the meaning of them. <laughs> it was one of those things where like instantly when she interpreted them, I was like, okay, I need to break up with this guy. Like mm-hmm. I need to listen to like my intuition. I know this isn't right. But then my brain was like, well, but like maybe the cards mean this, which oh. <laughs> I will say like, sometimes I still struggle with reading for myself because of that. Like, I don't like to pull cards for myself in regards to relationships with other people because I just don't ever want to try to twist it. (laughs) That is so easy to do. I mean, so many light bulbs are going off for me right now because I was just talking about how we 
talk ourselves out of listening to our instincts like mm-hmm. th- constantly. And when that was an issue I ran into reading tarot, I think all of us probably, because we want things to be a certain way, but our instincts don't lie. It, it's just hard to read for yourself sometimes. That's a really good point. Yeah, it can be. I try in general to not really read in regards to other people and keep my readings more like about myself. Mm-hmm. But if I need like a reading about an external situation, I try to go to someone else. So I don't let myself twist it around. (laughs) Okay. So you pull these cards for yourself Mm -hmm. and you're like, I need to know about this. Yeah. So then back then, as I started to learn about the tarot, I definitely came across those like, I guess like the traditional like rules I'll say for lack of a better word, how people are like, you shouldn't buy your own deck. You should shuffle this way, use this hand. So I asked for a deck for a Christmas present. So a few months later, I finally got a deck and started to learn. And I just like used the guidebook, Googled, and slowly started to learn with like pull cards for friends. And then for a bit, it was something that I used and then I would like step away from and put my deck down for a while and not revisit it for a bit. And then, you know, something would come up and I would like pull my deck out again. And then probably about maybe a year and a half, eh, probably two years ago at this point, I finally just like picked it up and kind of started to go like all in. I will say the beginning, I was like discouraged because it felt like something I would like never understand. Always envied the people who were like, yeah, I picked up this tarot deck and I just instantly knew what it meant. And like, everything made sense. And I was like, oh, like, I don't know if this is ever going to make sense to me. Like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to use the tarot without the book that comes with it. And then I started to, I think the resources that I utilized, like the courses I took and like the people I started to learn from helped. And then I think one day I kind of just, it finally, finally felt like it clicked for me. Yeah. What do you think helped you the most kind of build your confidence with tarot? Cause I know that's a, that's an experience that I had as well. You feel like I felt like I had to learn the facts of the symbols of the card. Like I really wanted to know about like the history of the cards and like, how did these symbols come to mean this thing? And it's kind of easy to get lost in the, the information, you know, <laughs> what was the thing that really made you feel like, okay, I, I got this now. That's a great question. I remember towards the end of my last relationship starting to feel like, okay, like this is something that I want to do and like finally get out of my comfort zone. I remember trying to like read cards for my ex and just feeling so like awkward, but I think it was really just that finally I committed to feeling uncomfortable. Oh, And yeah, like I was just like, okay, this is going to be messy and so uncomfortable. And like, I just have to do it. So I started to like read for other people and just say like, I read tarot. And like, and at that point there were still so many cards that I did not have like memorized or like would come up and I would be like, oh, oh shit. What does this card mean? So I would read for people maybe like, like not face-to-face and I would kind of like write out the reading remembering like with everything I remembered 
And then I would go like look up the meaning of some of the cards and be like, okay, like let me edit it and then like send them a reading. So yeah, just like really committing to like getting out of my comfort zone and just like myself to do it. It's to me, it sounds like the same thing we were just talking about, about trusting your instincts. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think there was like, I think in a way there was always this part of me that knew like I was supposed to be reading tarot and Ooh, interestingly enough, I got a tarot reading and this was years ago, gosh, like over three, three years ago. And the reader told me that whatever healing tool I ended up using to heal myself would be like what I ended up doing and sharing with others. I think for a while too, I was like, okay, like you know, I, I've always been someone who's done like a lot of self-reflection and like search mm-hmm. for these tools to better understand myself. So I think that was in the back of my mind too. Like, okay, like maybe the tarot is it. So like that relationship, that unhealthy relationship that I was in, we ended up breaking up shortly after. And then after I got the tarot deck, I was still processing that breakup. I was processing that for like quite a while. And the tarot was something that I really like leaned on during that time. Mm -hmm. A few years after that, my mom passed away. And again, the tarot was something that I came back to and like pulled a card every single day as she was sick and like after she passed. So I think about like the biggest life-changing events for me I always leaned on the tarot as a tool to like help get me through. Do you see it as, as like a mirror? In what way is it helpful in, in these like really difficult times, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. Mirror is like a great way to put it because the way I approach the tarot is I think it's a tool that really guides us like back to ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that we have the answers that we seek within us. And the tarot just helps us like illuminate those answers. So the way I read for myself and for my clients, I ask a lot of questions, which maybe if you're coming to the tarot for specific answers, probably really frustrating, (laughs) but I ask questions because I think we have the answers within us. So like, as we pull a card, that card is there to guide us, to invite us into like this deeper Mm self-reflection. So yes, in a way, like I would definitely consider it a mirror because it's reflecting back to us what we already know on some level. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. I know like a big part of your philosophy now is kind of rooted in attachment theory. So how did that start to get woven into your tarot practice? So about a little over a year ago, I went through another breakup (laughs) and I, this time around, I wasn't like struggling as much, but as I processed that breakup and got out of that relationship and I started to date again, I had felt pretty secure in my last relationship until the very end when we started to break up. So starting to date again, I had all of these anxious tendencies come back up. 
all these like insecurities and feeling like so preoccupied with like the other person that I'm dating or like, you know, are interested? I heard from them, like, you know, all the classic, like anxious attached traits. So I'm like, okay, I have used the tarot for all of these other things. I can use it for this as well. I can't remember exactly when, like I learned what attachment theory was. I remember it definitely being like something as I was going through that breakup that my therapist at the time brought up. She was writing a book on avoidant attachment. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what made it come up for me. Like, I think I'd heard about it prior and maybe hadn't given it like too much thought. And then as I was like going through this breakup, you know, she's talking about like the avoidant characteristics that my partner at the time was exhibiting. And I was like, oh, okay. So then like post breakup, I'm like, and I'm anxious. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I don't know a ton about the different styles. I know I am anxiously attached. I know that. Um, <laughs> painfully aware of that. But is there like a synergy between anxious and avoidant? Or like how do how do the different styles kind of work together? Yeah. So for anyone I guess listening who's like, totally new to attachment styles. I'll break them down a little bit. So there's secure attachment, which is just like, you're secure. You feel good in relationships. It's easy to communicate. You don't really have much doubt or worry about your relationship. Mm -hmm. And then there's three insecure attachment styles. So anxious, which I think could also be called like preoccupied. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that generally spend a lot of time thinking about their relationships. They tend to feel a little more insecure. They're really like worried if they don't hear from their partner for an extended period of time, their brain kind of can start to spiral and be like, oh no, they hate me. They're breaking up with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there is avoidant attachment. And those are the people that want more space. They tend to kind of put up walls or keep their partner like at arm's length. Mm -hmm. And generally this is because they had caretakers who maybe showed up and were there for them, but weren't like emotionally there for them. Mm -hmm. They learned that they had to depend on themselves. Mm -hmm. So they can have a subconscious belief around like losing their independence if they're in a relationship. And then going back to anxiously attached, usually those people had a caregiver that was inconsistent. Sometimes their needs were met. Sometimes they weren't their way of like learning to get their needs met was to like seek closeness. Mm-hmm. And then the third, which isn't talked about quite as much is disorganized. And those people generally had a caretaker who like should have been this sense of safety, but actually became a source of fear. Mm-hmm. So they tend to want intimacy and closeness, but they think that rejection is inevitable So they'll maybe get close to someone, but then pull away. They tend to have lower self-esteem and not really think too highly of themselves. Would you say that this style might have a tendency to self-sabotage? Yes. Yes. It it sounded that way, but I wanted to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. And then with anxious and avoidant, there tends to be kind of this, it's known as the anxious avoidant trap where people who are anxious 
and avoidant tend to end up together. Um, but the person who's anxious wants to get closer and that ends up pushing the avoidant away. And it just creates this cycle that's not enjoyable for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm stressed out just thinking about it because you can see how that would just never end and it feeds, right? Like it's feeding something that the other person is subconsciously seeking. Is this like what you and I talked about with the Veronica told me about this book, guys, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was about how codependent people seek narcissists and, and sort of they're like this perfect match. Is that kind of similar to what we're talking about or are those two different things? Yes, it. I think it's very similar. Yeah, the book, I think it's called The Human Magnet Syndrome. It was all about how codependents and narcissists are a magnet for each other. It was like this scale of like negative three to positive three. I forget what side the author put narcissists on codependents on, but like if you were a negative three codependent and you're paired with a plus three narcissist, it's this perfect match in the sense of an unhealthy perfect match. Right. Um, if you're someone who's maybe like a little bit codependent and your partner's super narcissistic, you may be more aware of those narcissistic tendencies and that like that relationship's not healthy, mm-hmm. not saying it's necessarily easy to get out of but you're still kind of stuck in that trap, but maybe you're more aware of it. To me, it's very similar because I definitely see the similarities too between like codependency and being anxiously attached. Yes. I I mean, obviously not a psychologist here, but I would love to learn more about the comorbidity might be the wrong word, but kind of, you know, like how they just kind of show up together. So they seem very similar to me too. Yeah. To me, again, not a psychologist, but (laughs) I tend to view things like on a scale because obviously people who are anxiously attached, not all of us are going to be the exact same. We're not going to show up all in the exact same way in relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of us may have um, anxious tendencies or less anxious tendencies. And some of us may have more anxious tendencies. To me, it almost feels like codependency is kind of on that like same scale, just like at a higher level. Yeah. And kind of along with that, it's with attachment styles, we're not always just one style. Mm -hmm. So even someone who's securely attached probably isn't a hundred percent securely attached. They probably have maybe some anxious tendencies, some avoidant tendencies, and someone who's avoidant may still have some anxious qualities. That's a great reminder. We're not just one thing ever. But you were describing securely attached. I was like, must be nice. (laughs) This sounds great. Sign me up. But you're right. Like I can think, even though I kind of identify mostly as like an anxiously attached person, because I am aware of that. I know that there are times when I'm more on the secure side because I'm aware of what I'm doing, what's going on in my brain. So that's, that's really powerful. I think for people to hear. And I'll say too, like using myself as an example, I mean, I've worked very hard to move into a secure attachment style, but when dating, I definitely still have more anxious tendencies Mm. if I'm not feeling confident in that dynamic. But when I'm in a relationship, I tend to feel mostly secure but then have more avoidant tendencies. Okay. You just made me realize something. You know how we play games. I mean, maybe you and I don't, we don't, but (laughs) no, you know, like I I feel like that game play of dating 
is mm-hmm. attachment styles like being played out? Yes. 1000%. Yes. One of my favorite resources in regards to attachment styles is the book called Attached. And for each style, the author talks about these strategies that each style uses. So people who are anxiously attached have their methods when they feel that distance between them and their partner to get closer again. And I mean, if you read through them, you're like, yeah, these are like the classic kind of like games that we tend to play in relationships. Like, oh, I'm going to push them away. Or like, I haven't heard from them in two hours. I'm going to take three hours to respond. (laughs) It's so true. Oh my God. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that that just got pieced together because I always hated that, but then I did it. Like I did it. I was a part of the problem <laughs> and we all do, I guess, but that's why having this information is so powerful because you start to realize how you maybe are like a part of the things you don't love about your relationships. Mm-hmm. I have this recent theory that like the people who we consider to be that we tend to call like fuck boys mm-hmm. are just avoidantly attached. Yes. Because if you think about it, you're like, okay, a fuck boy is usually someone who sends mixed messages, mm-hmm. which people who are avoidantly attached do. But the fuck boy is like someone you have a great time with. And then all of a sudden you don't hear from them because they pull away. Another avoidant tendency. That is such a good point. And it's way better to think about it that way. It's, I mean, it's funny to talk about fuck boys and I love a meme and whatever, but it's a lot more helpful to understand why they're doing that mm-hmm. and maybe why you're attracted to that so yes. that you can make a different choice if you want to or accept it for what it is. If you're like, no, this is fine for me. Exactly. Yeah. I am very much of that mindset of like the more information I know, the better, because that helps me to make a better decision. Like you just said, it's like, either I can say like, okay, I'll walk away or okay. I'm fine with their behavior. Like that's okay for me. Damn. That was so good. (laughs) So tell me a little bit more about how you use tarot and how you help your clients use tarot to heal these attachment wounds. If we want to call them that. Yeah. So I think I view the tarot is like this tool to help us really deepen our relationship with ourselves. I believe the cards invite us into that deeper relationship with ourselves. And then if we choose to accept the invitation through that relationship, we can heal. Mm-hmm. So for me, utilizing the tarot as a tool for healing attachment wounds, it wasn't about like the other person. I was dating or seeing, it was about me. It was very much like, okay, why am I showing up this way? Why is this feeling coming up for me? Um, Doing a lot of self-reflection and trying to figure out what's underneath that reaction. So that's how I'll read cards for clients as well. You know, trying to get to the root of these like automatic responses that we have, trying to be more conscious of them. Cause I think that if we don't do much self-reflection or maybe we aren't aware of attachment theory, then we might not be as, as aware of these patterns and then we're just repeating cycles and relationships. So I use the tarot 
as a tool for us to really like deepen that relationship with ourself first and foremost, really get curious. And then from there, like, how can we heal? How can we move forward in the relationship? So then asking questions like, okay, what, what next step do I need to take? Or how can I better show up in this relationship dynamic to serve myself? How can I begin to move into a secure attachment. I mean, you just said so many really wise things that even if you don't ever want to touch a tarot deck are so helpful. Number one, if you're in a relationship that you're not loving, start with you. I made the mistake so long thinking about the other person. Like, what are they doing that I don't like? Well, I'm part of this too, you know? And that's exactly why self-awareness and self-help work is not selfish, because in doing your own self-reflection, you're going to be better for it, period, for yourself and for everybody you know. What popped into my mind just now as you were talking is like personal responsibility. So as frustrating as it is, (laughs) you know, if we continue to end up with partners who are, say, avoidantly attached and more, more anxious. We know that doesn't work for us. It's coming back to like, okay, well, why am I choosing these partners? Why am I choosing to stay in the dynamic? Taking that personal responsibility because, you know, we're the ones who got ourselves here right? and then making the changes necessary so we can end up in the type of relationship that we want to be in. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. So what are some questions that each attachment style, like if I know I'm anxiously attached or that's my dominant style or any of the styles, like what kinds of questions should I ask when I'm working with tarot? With anxious, if you're feeling super anxious in the relationship dynamic, you can ask your deck, like what's beneath my anxiety right now? Most likely there's some underlying cause, whether that's from a past life experience a past relationship, some kind of trigger that's coming up that's causing you to be anxious. You know, how is the story my mind created serving me? Another thing that I think about giving ourselves grace as we're moving through this, reminding ourselves our brain and our attachment style, it was created as a way to get our needs met. Mm -hmm. So if our brain is telling us a story about, you know, our partner wanting to break up with us because they haven't answered us in three hours, (laughs) It stemmed from, you know, us ideally like needing to keep ourselves safe in some way with our caretakers. So, you know, we come to our deck saying like, well, how is this story serving me? And then we can begin to unpack that story. Someone who's avoidantly attached might want to ask their deck, what is blocking me from allowing others to get close to me? You know, how could I benefit from allowing myself to open up to someone? And how can I effectively communicate my need for space? Oh, that's good. I think, you know, with people who are avoidantly attached, the answer isn't necessarily forcing yourself to be close to your partner all the time. Maybe it's just you need to more effectively communicate that to your partner and then they can understand why you need space and they can offer you that space. You're making me realize that healing attachment wounds is not about totally changing who you are. It's about recognizing what you need and why you need it. And knowing when you've crossed a line, like I'm in an unhealthy realm versus I'm doing what I need to do to feel okay right now. 
Yes. Yes. That's the perfect way to put it. Because, I mean, I would love to say that we'll all end up 100% securely attached, but I don't know if that's realistic. Right. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of this is about meeting ourselves where we're at and giving ourselves grace as we like move along this journey and being better able to communicate and advocate for our needs. Absolutely. So then with disorganized attachment, they can maybe come to their deck asking, what first step can I take to begin to trust others? How can I begin to move past my fear of getting close to someone? And then just in general too, no matter what your attachment style is, you couldn't even ask your deck, like, how is my attachment style protecting me right now? Or how is it serving me? How can I begin to take control versus letting my attachment style do the driving? Love it. Well, I think most of us are going to innately kind of know once we hear the descriptors, but if you're just starting out with this, those would be great questions to ask. So tell us about the lovers. So the lovers is the collective card of the year. So we'll start there. There are two ways that I like to view the lovers card. One, the first one, cover feels a little more like specific to the anxious attachment style. Mm. So the lovers can be a card that shows up when we tend to put someone else on a pedestal. We tend to see all these really great qualities in them. And we don't realize that we too possess those qualities. Mm. I think people who are anxiously attached can tend to do this with their partners. They tend to see their partners in a higher regard than they see themselves. Mm-hmm. So the lovers is an invitation to recognize that you admire those qualities in this other person because you possess them. Mm-hmm. So can you use the lover's card or more specifically, can you use that person as a mirror yeah. to reflect back to you what you possess? So that's the first way that I view the lovers. The second is just as an invitation to choose the lessons we want to learn and love. So I think if we are unconscious of our patterns in dating and relationships, if we're unconscious of our attachment style and how it causes us to repeat the same cycles, the lovers is really an invitation to consciously choose what we want to learn in relationships. And that can be choosing to learn what it's like to be in a relationship with someone who it feels safe to communicate with. Mm. It can be like choosing to be in a relationship with someone where you feel like you can fully be yourself for the first time and like you have their support. I mean, it can really be any lesson in love that you want to learn and that you feel like you need to learn. And from there, you know, you can choose your partners based on what you want to learn. Mm-hmm. I think in a way it can also take the pressure off. So we don't feel like, oh, well, if I date this person, like they have to be the one. I can just be like, okay, well, maybe I'm just dating this person because right now they're really great for me when it comes to learning how to communicate. Yeah. And, you know, whether I end up with them for the next two years or my lifetime, or just only the next two months, I'll learn something 
that really benefits me and my growth. I love that because it does take the pressure off. I heard someone say once, and this always stuck with me, everybody you date, you're either going to break up or get married. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, but that blew my mind when I heard it. And it made me kind of sad too, because of course, like nobody ever wants to, (laughs) breakups are not fun categorically. But if you look at it that way, I'm here for a lesson. I don't know what's going to happen. And I can release the outcome a little bit easier if I can just accept that about the reality of this relationship. Yeah. I think for me, I can say firsthand, like it has made dating a lot easier. And I think it also, I haven't like spoken this out loud yet. So this is kind of a not completely processed thought, but I think it allows me to also be more, I guess, like grateful for the people that I do get to date, whether that is for a few weeks, a few months, however long, I can then view them as like a person who assisted me in my growth instead of maybe focusing on, well, like they didn't have what I wanted. They weren't the one I can then be like, wow, they had this really great quality that made me realize I do want that in my long-term partner, but they just weren't the one. That is so powerful and beautiful, really, because I think the trap sometimes is like we get so self, I mean, I did at least when I was dating, I definitely was really focused on myself and what I wanted and are they what I want? And it's like, okay, this is a whole other fucking person, like with their own, you know what I mean? Like you almost forget that like, this is not just about you. And I Again, I'll speak for myself, but I think it's a really easy trap to fall into because you're trying to figure out, is this person what I want? And it's like, well, just let it be what it is and then find out just the, that reframe of like, I can learn something from them just by embracing who they are. It, it's, it goes back to this whole idea that this kind of work is better for everybody around us. It helps everyone, not just ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm. exactly. Yeah. I think I dive a little bit into the devil card as well. Oh my God. You read my mind. I wanted to ask you, I've seen, I don't know a lot about numerology. I just know that like, it's a six year, right? So, okay. The lovers are six, but the devil one five is also six. And of course the, if you look at, and anybody who's not familiar with the tarot deck, just Google the devil and then Google the lovers and you'll see immediately the similarities. So yes. Tell me everything you're thinking. Yes. So there's what's called tarot constellations based on the numerology. So like you said, the devil is 15. So one plus five is six. So it's in that lover's constellation. That means those cards in the same constellation have like a very similar energy, which if you Google the cards, you'll see like literally the lovers on the lover's card. Those two people are on the devil card. (laughs) Um, It's not like that for every constellation, I think this might actually be the only one, but to me, it's such a great card for attachment theory, like healing attachment wounds, because the devil is an invitation to liberate ourselves from the stories that our mind is telling us. And if you're insecurely attached at all, you most likely have stories that your mind is telling you. So I use the devil as a card to reflect on where those stories come from 
why we have them. If they're related to our attachment wounds, most likely they're probably related to relationships with our caregivers or maybe early relationships we had dating. Mm -hmm. And those stories become our beliefs. And from there, our beliefs inform our behaviors and our actions. So if we're repeating cycles in dating and in relationships, because of these beliefs, we have to change these beliefs and these stories that we have in order to engage in new behaviors and then therefore learn new lessons in love. With the energy of the devil, the invitation I give to clients is like, get out a pen and paper or, you know, your notes app, whatever, and just like start writing down what are the beliefs you have around love and dating and even relationships. Because attachment theory, we tend to think about like our romantic relationships, mm-hmm. but it definitely ties into our platonic relationships as well. So any relationships at all, you know, write down what are the stories that you have and then are they serving you? And if they're not, and you want to change those stories, like what stories do you want to replace them with? And then from there, we can tie it back into the lovers of like, okay, these new stories, what actions, like what lessons in love do we want to learn to reinforce these new stories? Yeah. I'm just like blown away by how logically you laid out how this all works in our head. You know, how your stories become your beliefs become your, and it's true. It's so true. Tell me if you agree or disagree. And obviously it's totally okay either way, but I kind of feel like you really don't even need to understand why the story exists. Sometimes it's enough to just understand this is what my brain is doing. I know when I was first digging into my stuff, I wanted to really understand every little bit. And I feel like I have to know all the information. Why do I need to know all the information? I don't know. There is something that made me anxiously attached and an anxious person in general. I was born that way to some extent. I kind of feel like the origin of how I got to be that way almost doesn't matter. I would love to have that information, but I don't need it to like have a more healthy, fulfilling life and relationships. You know, it's just like the fact that I know it now. Yeah. Yes. Totally. I agree like with what you're saying. I don't think we need to know the origin of that story in order to change it. I will say I'm also like very similar to what you're saying. Like I do want to know and I tend to dive in. I'm like, I have to get to the bottom of this. Like, why am I like this? So I think some people like maybe it matters a little more and some people are like, doesn't matter. I just know that this is my like story and I want to change it. One of the things for me though, like why I do like knowing the origin is it almost helps me to like validate myself a little more. So one of, and like, again, kind of coming back to like grace, like giving myself self-compassion, one of my favorite phrases, and I wish I could remember where I got this from so I could credit them, but I think it either came from like a book or a podcast or something, but I like to validate myself by saying like, of course I feel that way because Mm-hmm. So like, for example, you know, with dating, I'll be like, well, of course I feel anxious that the person I'm dating is hanging out with another woman, even though she's just a friend because I got cheated on. Right. So, and it's like, okay, well now I can give myself some co- self-compassion. I don't have to beat myself up for feeling that way. That feeling 
is valid in the sense of it's triggering because of past experiences. And then I can begin to work through it. Yes. I know you talked a little bit earlier about your teachers and your learnings were really important. Who and what were your go-to resources? Yeah. Lindsay Mack. She is a tarot teacher. She is phenomenal. I took her tarot for the wild soul course. Highly recommend. She has tons of, tons of resources. Some are free, tons of classes. She's great because she teaches in a way that is very much focused on like that self-healing and like self-reflection. She really influenced the way I read. Um, Also, a tarot reader that I discovered not too long ago, Jessica Dorr, mm. I think I'm saying her name. She has a book called Tarot for Change. Mm. Phenomenal. It is so good. She went to school for social work. So she relates all of the cards back to like psychology and psychology frameworks, a lot of things that you'll come across in therapy, all of those systems. She relates to the cards. So if you're looking for like a resource for using tarot as a tool for self-healing, that is a great one. Yeah. Add to cart right now. Those are definitely my two favorite. Oh gosh, I've got like a whole shelf full of tarot books. 78 Degrees of Wisdom. Oh, that's my Bible. Yeah, that's a good one. Rachel Pollock has some good work. And then as far as like inclusive tarot decks... Because traditional decks are not very inclusive. Next World Tarot is a great one. And Modern Witch. Love it. Love, love. I know you are about to launch a podcast as well. Yes. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah. I'd love to. Yes. Hopefully that will be launched by the time this episode airs. Um, And it's going to be called Attachment in the Tarot. So each episode, I will be diving into like how to use the tarot to heal your attachment wounds. So it'll be similar to like what I talked about in regards to the lovers and the devil, like how to use specific cards, no matter what your attachment style is. I'll probably do some episodes like specifically for each attachment style, Mm. Uh, you know, how to like questions to ask your deck and just really like using the tarot as a tool, as you work through like healing attachment wounds and moving into a secure attachment. That is amazing. I'm so excited for that. I will be listening for sure. And how can people work with you? So I offer one-on-one readings virtually. So no matter where you are, we can do readings. I also offer like subscription readings. If people like to get their cards read like every month or like virtually I'll do like video sessions. If you're someone who's busier, I kind of cater those subscription options to each person based on what they need and how much guidance they like. I have a weekly tarot newsletter. It's also a free resource. And then I just post on social media pretty frequently with, you know, usually daily card polls. And then if anyone listening is in the Houston, Texas area, I'm pretty frequently at pop-up events, at least once a month, I'll read at events. The events you're at look so cool I'm because I'm all up in your stories. I'm like, where is she? That looks so like so much fun. <laughs> yeah, they're a ton of fun. I don't like, Houston loves their pop-up events. I don't know if they're this big in other cities, but there's a, like pop-up events going on 
all the time here and they're so much fun. Hell yes. So your website and your social handle, where can people find you there? Yeah. So people can find me. My website is veronicamcnellis.com. And then my Instagram handle again, is just at Veronica McNellis. So my first and last name, the only thing that's different is my TikTok, which is V healing my business name, but not quite as consistent on TikTok as I am on Instagram yet. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, I'm excited to sign up for your newsletter. I know I've been learning a lot from your daily reads, daily polls. I love your interpretations of the cards and I'm really glad we got to talk. I cannot wait to go through this transcript. There were so many like gems of wisdom. This was an amazing conversation and I'm so glad you wanted to do it. Yes. Thank you. I'm so glad you invited me to be here. This was a ton of fun. And yeah, I really hope everyone listening, like take something away from this. Oh, they will. <laughs> they will. <laughs> what an incredible conversation. I honestly did go through the transcript and copy and paste a bunch of Veronica's one-liners for myself. If you would like to go through the transcript on your own, I've got that for you in the show notes, along with all of Veronica's links. You can follow her, sign up for her newsletter, see her offerings all on her website, all that good stuff. I've also got all the books we talked about in the show notes for you, too. If you're interested in booking a birth chart reading, I am currently offering 30 and 60 minute cosmic mirror birth chart readings, which I'm also linking for you in the show notes. Additionally, you can get access to my free spiritual self-study notion wiki, which currently houses all my free offerings. There's uh, information on lunar cycles, how to read your own birth chart, there's a free tarot class as well, a little three-day self-paced course. I'm actually in the works of overhauling this to make it even more useful. I'm going to be adding a lot to it come like May, June. It'll only be available to my email crew, um, so be sure to get access to that in the show notes if you're not already getting my emails. Finally, if you don't already, be sure to subscribe to Self Help Witch wherever you listen. And if you feel so inclined, it would mean a lot if you left a review, if you could rate the show five stars, or share it with a friend. Until next time, I love you. Keep going. Goodbye.